Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special on Up in the Air, the new Jason Reitman movie. Uh, in the studio with me today are Dan Coyce. Hello, Dan. Hey, Dana. Who is a blogger for New York Magazine's Vulture blog, also writes for True Slant, and writes film reviews for The Washington Post. Have I covered it all? Um, and also, I have a book coming out. Oh, yes. Please plug your book. Uh, um, called Facing Future for Continuum's 33 and a Third Series of Music Criticism about the uh, Hawaiian musician Israel Kamakavivole. I can't wait to see that because I love those 33 and a third books. They're like little monographs, right? I mean, it's, just, it's a short little thing. They're adorable little books about individual albums. And can you explain just briefly who this, who the Hawaiian musician is? Uh, he's the guy who sings that version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, What a Wonderful World, accompanied by the ukulele that you've heard in 10,000 movies. Oh, my God. That's great. That's a great person to write a monograph about. I love it. Um, and also joining me today in the studio is John Swansburg. Hello, John. Hey. Good to be here. Slate's culture editor. And so... Um, we all saw the movie in the last few days, and I wanted to start off with you, John, because you had this observation about this remarkable up-in-the-air phenomenon where your enjoyment of the movie dropped precipitously the day after seeing it, that I think you and I both had a really good time in the movie. Yeah, we walked out and we were both uh, pretty elated, I, th- I thought. Um, yeah, in the, in the immediate aftermath of having seen it, I, I, was, uh, I was very pleased. Throughout the, the viewing experience, uh, I found it enjoyable, although I did, I did even in the movie start to feel it was a little bit too long. And then and the next day when I woke up, I, I sort of felt more strongly that maybe there was almost 25 or 30 minutes that I'd have been okay without having seen. And, and there were certain moments that still felt pleasing to me in my memory, um, but there were other, the, the movie just didn't hadn't held up over the course of my, my night of sleep, uh, <laughs> so, which was sort of uh, disappointing. Right, it's, it's strangely insubstantial in that way. Do you agree, Dan? Yeah, I do. And I, mean, I saw it about a week and a half ago, and I found that big chunks of it have sort of evaporated from my memory. I mean, I don't even remember liking them or not liking them. They're just like big gaping holes. I sort of compare it to the way that when like I, when you walk through an airport, it's a not unpleasing, smooth phenomenon, but you don't remember it the next day. And big chunks of the movie had disappeared from my memory in the same way. Well, okay, despite our collective amnesia, <laughs> can we do some sort of plot summary of this movie? Uh, I think George Clooney is in it. <laughs> I do remember Clooney. Yeah. Uh, sure, I'll do a plot summary if you hand me your press notes so I can remember everyone's character names. That's another thing that has disappeared from all our memories. I mean, they don't. <laughs> they're names bland are, names. Right, their names are intentionally bland. All right, so uh, George Clooney plays Ryan Bingham, who is a, uh, a corporate downsizer. He um, flies everywhere around the country to do f- to do the firing of bosses who are too chicken to do it themselves. Um, and uh, he lives up in the air, as he tells people. He is most happy when he's in transit. He's an expert at packing his bag perfectly. He knows the best ways to get through frequent flyer uh, through security lines and to use his frequent flyer cards. And he's approaching exalted. What is it like? Five million, ten million, ten million, yeah. ten million mile status uh, on his airline of choice. Um, and uh, he his way of life, of course, is threatened when um, a uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed young executive is brought into his uh, Omaha-based company, um, Natalie, who's played by Anna Kendrick, um, who has the bright idea that instead of firing people in person, they should just be firing people by Skype, which is true. They should be. I mean, the, the, one of the problems with the movie is that that's an inarguable like business point. Like, There's no reason they should be firing anyone anyway other than by Skype. Or by phone call, if possible. Um, but uh, so she, he takes uh, Ryan takes Natalie out to learn the ropes of uh, of firing people, so that she can eventually make him obsolete. Um, along the way, he meets sort of his uh, uh, his doppelganger, his female doppelganger, played by Vera Farmiga, um, 
who's named Alex, who is like him, a corporate um, road warrior on the road as often as him. They have a great meet cute scene where they compare frequent flyer programs uh, in in a in an air, airport bar, um, and uh, things proceed from there. Yeah, I wanted to comment on that meet cute scene because I feel like it, it raised the hopes really high for the movie in a way that was never met again. There's so, uh, kind of a screwball tone at the beginning of the movie. There's a great snappy opening montage with George Clooney's voiceover as he's describing all of his travel tricks, and you see him going through the airport and you know how he packs his bag and everything. And of course, Clooney is perfectly cast as this kind of you know um, this no strings attached guy who lives in the air, right? In fact, it actually figures a lot into the movie that we know that George Clooney himself is this perpetual bachelor who was vowed that he'll never get married. Doesn't George Clooney have a bet? with some other star. I was trying to remember this during the movie. It's either Tilda Swinton or Meryl Streep or someone. He's bet them some huge amount of money that he'll, he'll never get married. But he has been married He has been married once. Oh, he has? To Talia Balsam, yeah, who played um, Mona uh, Sterling in Mad Men. Was it back in, back in the day? Back <laughs> yeah, in like his there's ER a, days? You should look, everyone should look up pictures of him like uh, after shortly after being married from like the mid-90s. The, uh, his hair is unbelievable. And Talia Balsam's, <laughs> uh, the, the image that comes up on Google uh, image search is, is really worth looking at. Talia Balsam's wearing this great see-through polka dot blouse. But that's not here nor there but i think you're right that i think it, after that uh marriage dissolved i think he does have some kind of uh some kind of bet about um you know not not getting hitched again i did not know about tell you but you've got some deep background on your george clooney gossip well it's more maybe uh, someone's uh, well, got a man crush yeah uh, i actually have more of a uh, a crush on talia balsam <laughs> <laughs> i actually also have a, t- a man crush on, on george clooney so what does it say about the movie that we cannot even keep our discussion about it from being derailed <laughs> like here where it's our job to discuss this movie well but it's, it's actually true that the george clooney Clooney's star power and the power of his personality is a big part of what makes this movie so charming. Oh, so I was it's also say a problem. That- I think we can return to that, but I think it's what part of what makes the movie work and part of what made it didn't work for me too. Like there's there's scenes late in the movie when he goes home to his um, to his family that he sort of abandoned. That I felt where that's where I thought the movie kind of fell apart in part because I just did not believe that George Clooney was sort of had been issued forth from this milieu. But, yeah, right. right? <laughs> he he, wouldn't, he certainly had never set forth in northern Wisconsin in his life. No, he certainly was not born there. No, absolutely not. Right. Yeah, that's the second. We should mention that second plot of the movie, which is actually pretty key, but again, it's something that's like evaporated in the two days since seeing it. But he has this sister played by Melanie Linsky, who's about to get married in Minnesota, Wisconsin. Northern Where is Wisconsin. it? Northern, Northern Wisconsin, Wisconsin, yeah. And, uh, and she has sent him this cardboard cutout of herself with her fiance played with the by idea. Danny that, McBride. Played by Danny McBride. Very well, I thought. And he's supposed to be photographing this cutout in all the places he goes as kind of a gag gift for the wedding. And so there's this ongoing, you know, the movie's kind of punctuated by these photographs of the, the, the cutout in front of various um, structures. And then he converges, he and uh, and Alex, the, the meet-cute female equivalent of him, end up going to this wedding together. So that's that's sort of the soft, the soft side of the story, the B-plot. Right. Well, and it's, you know, as you say, as both of you have said, the, the star power of George Clooney drives this, but it also does define the movie in some way in that there, there's a, like an essential tastefulness to George Clooney uh, and to the kinds of movies that he chooses. And this is sort of like the epitome of the, the modern day George Clooney movie in that it is like it is extremely well written and impeccably put together. And his performance is just right. I mean, it's as just right as that bag that Ryan Bingham packs every day before he gets on a plane. Uh, but there, it certainly has no sort of wildness or edge to it uh, in a way that George Clooney at this point sort of has no wildness or edge to him. His taste is so good that it may, it, I sort of feel like it's worth wondering if, the, if that is becoming a like an impediment to his career. I don't get the impression that George Clooney would ever do something uh, 
you know, I'm trying to think of like recent great, great movies that I just can't see George Clooney doing. Like he would never do something as sort of rough as even like Brokeback Mountain or uh, he would never be in Chicago or, you know, it's good or bad movies that you really remember, I feel like have some kind of ruggedness or dirtiness or ugliness about them as well as the smooth polished surface and i feel like his movies have become all smooth polished surface I yeah i, I mean I Siri- hold that against him that he's the cary grant of our day somebody's got to do it <laughs> i felt like he did syriana is a movie that you know was not that old that that sort of had a roughness to it that you know he was willing to sort of look crappy and that that movie sort of its politics were pretty i mean i guess i guess they're george clooney's politics but they're still right. it was not it wasn't like a burnished Kind of, I mean, the politics of this movie is like, oh, downsizing is really hard on people. I mean, this movie, this movie kind of plays into, uh, I don't know, into the zeitgeist in a way that I think any hard, it would be hard for anyone to sort of disagree with. Well, it, to me, it feels a little bit like it, it piggybacked on the on the zeitgeist. Yeah, right. Well, it clearly was. I mean, the book was written before um, the downturn, and the movie was greenlit before the downturn, and and it certainly seems as though. And you can't blame Jason Reitman for this, but and this maybe can work into our discussion of Jason Reitman, but he definitely made the decision while filming that he needed to make this more quote unquote relevant, right? Uh, and that's why he cast. I mean, there's there's several montages throughout the movie and several scenes throughout the movie that are in which the roles of employees being downsized are played by recently downsized employees from St. Louis, I think, and Chicago or Detroit, I think, Detroit, also, yeah. yeah. Um, and like that's a, I like that choice in theory, but in practice, it does make the movie seem as though it is piggybacking in some way. And when the movie doesn't exactly have anything to say uh, necessarily about what it is like to be downsized, um, it does make it feel a little bit uh, opportunistic. I yeah, felt I, like those people seemed a little bit like you know creatures in the zoo or something, especially when there would be a long montage of these really heartbreaking stories from these real people who had been downsized, and then the last one of them would suddenly be J.K. Simmons, right, and then or, or it would segue into a scene <laughs> in which you know the, an actor was playing the part. Right, right. They really felt for that reason they felt very shoehorned into the movie, and there's a, it's quite jarring to go to both go from you know actual downsized person to Zach Galifianakis, and then you sort of the next cut is to George Clooney's beautiful face and you're just sort of it, it's, it's quite jarring and not in the way that I think it's intended to be yes as listeners know and listeners to any Slate podcast know we're sponsored by audible.com which is the leading provider of audio entertainment on the web they have over 60,000 well over 60,000 um, great titles including the book Up in the Air on which this movie was based it's by Walter Kern uh, I'm in the middle of reading the novel now and actually I'll, I'll venture to say that I like it a lot better than the movie it's, it's definitely darker and edgier and far more of a corporate satire than the movie is um, and also seems so far. I'm only about I don't know, I don't know, a third of the way through or something. It seems to be less focused on this uh, Vera Farmiga romance character because she hasn't really emerged yet. It's it's really a lot more about sort of um, uh, business speak, you know, which is what this guy sort of thinks and writes it. I'm under the impression that the Vera Farmiga character was in fact invented for the movie. I'm not sure. There's a, there is an Alex in the book, but, oh, but so okay. far she's she's nothing like the Vera Farmiga okay. character. So so you can listen to Up in the Air unabridged on Audible. It's read by uh, Sean Renette, and uh, and that's our Audible recommendation for the week. And so, as you know, if you've listened to a spoiler podcast in the past year, we have a deal with Audible where you can sign up, get a free book with your sign up, and um, get a free book per month thereafter. And you can keep that free book even if you don't decide to keep your membership, which, of course, you will. And the place to do that is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. So let's talk a little bit about Jason Reitman, the director of this movie. It's his third film. His first movie was Thank You for Smoking, which I thought was wildly overpraised, um, corporate satire. And his second movie was Juno, which, you know, everybody sort of knows the, the 
ascent of Juno. And uh, and then and now this movie, I had the feeling from minute one of this movie that it's going to do very well in award season because it has that tone that I sort of think of as the new tone that's needed to, to garner as many awards as possible, which, as you were saying, Dan, is sort of inoffensive. It's sort of like the kind of movie that nobody can't love, but nobody right. can really feel passionate about either. I, I feel like Slumdog Millionaire sort of had that. Little Miss Sunshine sort of had it. And I like those movies. I like things about them. But there's something crowd-pleasing about them where it's sort of like you can take grandma. And that kind of movie has been cleaning up recently at awards. Do you guys have that feeling too? Yes. Well, I mean, the the combination of accidental zeitgeist um, yet an ability to be absolutely inoffensive about a major issue, I think, also is going to lend it a lot of weight in awards season. And the fact that, as you guys said, while you're watching it, it's a totally – pleasurable process and i mean i think awards voters spend the months of december and january jamming in two to three movies a day and so everything evaporates from their minds so all they remember of any movie is how they felt while they were watching it and so a movie like this makes a much greater impression when you're watching three movies a day than it does for i think for the average film goer who's going to see it like it and then forget about it unlike other movies that may stick in their memories more and this movie is really enjoyable i mean maybe we've undersold it's an enjoyableness to some degree. I mean, there are moments that are really fun. We started to talk about the meet cute um, scene and oh, we kind yeah. of got derailed. I mean, that scene is really fun. I mean, when uh, when Ryan and Alex meet in the bar and they they start you know taking whipping out their uh, various frequent flyer cards, it's really uh, quite funny. And there's another there, there there's a great crackle between those two actors uh, throughout. Oh the yeah, movie. they're utterly there's an utterly amazing scene. Uh, there's an amazing scene where at one point they're both on business travel, but in different cities, and they're both in their robes in different you know Hilton Garden Inns and, and anonymous. American cities, and they they have this great text message flirtation that you know text messaging, or I actually think they're BBMing, uh, which seemed actually even more accurate. What's BBMing? It's BlackBerry Messenger, mm-hmm. um, and it seemed perfectly that they would be BBMing, and they have this like really uh, ribald uh, exchange about you know uh, they're sort of having like BBM sex, um, and it was really well written and seemed quite like exactly the kind of um, tawdry thing you would say over BlackBerry Messenger if you were having that kind of relationship with someone. I thought it was really admirable. I thought that's the kind of thing that I think movies often get wrong. Right. Uh, but there are lots of great moments like that throughout the movie that were very fun that I do remember. There are just other parts of it that I, that sort of were more effervescent. And- right. And I mean, I'll say honestly that I thought all three of them of the leads actually were pretty outstanding and had pretty great chemistry. I mean, I really liked Anna Kendrick, who played Natalie, the sort of the younger efficiency expert. I liked her character a lot. I liked her rapport with George Clooney, and I love the way that every time she talked to Vera Farmiga, she just would accidentally insult her so many times. Like, <laughs> yeah. She just, you know, what, what doesn't she say at one point, like, you know, God, you're exactly what I hope I am in 20 years. Right. And you can see Vera Farmiga just blanch <laughs> right. at the notion that she's 20 years older than Adam. And Kendrick. she has another great line along the same lines where she says, uh, you know, I just really want to thank, I don't want to say anything anti feminist. I really appreciate all the stuff that your generation did for us, <laughs> which is another great kind of back ended. Uh, right. And Vera Farmiga has great deadpan reactions in those scenes. And we should also know that Vera Farmiga is just in addition to being utterly scorching hot is oh just is, is really terrific in this movie yeah, and she's I mean she's, I hope she has a big career ahead of her she's only just come onto the radar in the last since The Departed I guess in the last few years but Although, she's really wonderful and she really stands up she really gives George Clooney you know Gives it right back to him. I agree. She's, she was terrific. Although maybe we should, uh, since this is a spoiler, maybe we should discuss uh, the sort of major spoilerific yeah, thing we that have happens to spoil because that. that's that's one problematic part of the movie, and it involves her. So, so major spoiler alert. This is, uh, I guess, the, the bit one big surprise in the movie, other than the fact that George Clooney does get to ten million miles. Oh, um, and, that, and that young MC is in it. And, oh, and that young MC is in it. Yes, that that was very fun. Um, but at the end of so throughout the movie, we sort of do understand that um, Ryan, the George Clooney character, and Alex 
Alex are sort of doppelgangers that they both uh, are these corporate um, uh, travel types who don't have homes and sort of live in hotels and in airplanes and airports. Um, and she says to him at one point, I'm you, but with a vagina, right? right? That's like <laughs> yeah, one she, of her pickup lines. Right, exactly. That She says that very explicitly. Um, and, she, and she is actually the one of the two of them who's always saying, I want – all I want is a relationship where if we both happen to be laying over in Denver, that we will sleep together. Like she doesn't want anything more than that. She's she's no strings attached. Uh, and then towards the end of the movie, of course, uh, Ryan, the Clooney character, does start to feel stronger affection for her, and he sort of ditches a, a, a corporate talk that he's giving and, and sort of runs off to Super Chicago. Super cliched moment. Like, do not run through an airport at the end of a romantic comedy. Yeah. Just don't do it. Also, don't start a speech and then say you can't finish it. <laughs> right. That was painful. Which well, is so not his character. His character would not start a corporate speech that he'd been paid some shitload of money to do. And, and that he'd been looking forward to do his middle. whole life. Like, it was posited as, like, this particular Great Vegas, you know, junket that he'd always wanted to do. Oh, also, yeah. They gold, didn't, what's gold, gold Quest yeah, 20? Double, double Equis. Um, they also just it didn't make any sense. Like, why did did he have to run to Chicago? Like, there wasn't anything he was trying to make in particular. Right. He could have easily finished the talk. I mean, he's like an expert traveler. He could have caught... The, he's going to Chicago, the easiest place to travel to in America. Anyway, uh, he does. He goes to Chicago and, uh, he, you know, he, he runs up to her to her brownstone and Lincoln Park or wherever and um, knocks on the door and is hoping to have some, you know, like, maybe confess his, lo- his real love to her. And she opens the door and she has this kind of stricken look on her face. And he's confused for a moment, and then we sort of see her two little kids like running around in the background, and her husband asking, "You know, who is it?" And it turns out she's not really him. She does travel all the time, but in fact, she has a home that she goes that she goes back to, and she has a husband and kids. and And she sort of says, "You've, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't be here." Uh, and ultimately, they have a phone conversation. And she says that you know he broke the rules by by coming to see her at her home. I thought that denouement was handled really lamely because yeah. I mean those characters have been pretty well drawn, and the fact that they have these characteristics, you know, that he's enough of a perfectionist that he would have finished the Gold Quest speech, right? right? And that also, I mean, the, all along, they've been sort of having these great... This is when the screwball tone dropped away, and it made right. me sad. They've been having these great screwball verbal jousts the whole time, and then he discovers this huge thing that she's been keeping from him, right? And he's already taken her to the wedding, the sister's wedding, so they've sort of had, like, their sappy moment yeah. where it's kind of obvious that it could be more than than just the uh, the layover kind right. of Right, it's not just him. I mean, she seems to be falling for him as, as well. So actually, I do think it was a big ethical lapse that she didn't tell him about that and this, but yet the conversation that they have later I don't know I just felt like it really betrayed you know what what little verisimilitude their relationship had built up at that point right she, she was saying that, that he had broken the rules when in fact it was clearly that if anyone had broken the rules it had been her I mean Clooney had been up front with her throughout about what his lifestyle was and she was the one who had been dissembling um, but the movie wants us to think see this is I think where the movie kind of cops out at the end the movie wants us to think this thing that I think Oscar voters are going to love to think which is sort of like it's all about human connection in the end you know that like that that it's it's a moral trajectory that George Clooney traces where he learns to love or whatever. Right. And I didn't think that that denouement of their love story actually did teach you that. Right. right? Yeah, it, d- it didn't really follow. But then what, what, a- what happens after that is that, yeah, we do get these kind of two moments where George Clooney is obviously a changed man. He he takes some of uh, like a million of his bonus uh, miles and he d- gives them to his sister so that she can have a honeymoon because, you know, she's she doesn't have uh, the means that he does. And he and there's this great scene where he all uh, the uh, Natalie character has left the downsizing firm and is applying for jobs in San Francisco. And Clooney has written a letter of recommendation uh, for for her for her. And that's also meant to sort of show like 
like his humanity and the fact that he's come around to um, you know the idea of, of helping others and helping in particular this woman Natalie with whom he's had a uh, fraught relationship and I thought that was kind of a funny moment because like he we see this uh, letter of recommendation and it's supposed to be this like big moment where Clooney has finally come around to, to helping his fellow man and it's like not such a great rec- letter of recommendation it's like barely a paragraph long <laughs> and it's just like you should hire this girl there's no details like if I were a hirer I don't think I'd be so impressed by that letter but, <laughs> unless I was like an enormous fan of Ryan Bingham the human being where I'd be like oh Ryan Bingham right right but he's some anonymous guy right <laughs> it didn't make any sense but right so I guess what I guess what we can all agree is that this is a movie that that sets everything up perfectly and then like in its last 20 minutes it basically throws away almost everything that had happened previously I mean while maintaining pretty expertly its smoothness of tone uh, and professionalness of assembly it does in the end sort of undercut what limited messages it seemed to be offering in the first place. Do you I think agree. It implies at the end, the last shot we see is, is George Clooney standing, looking at the board, you know, at, at another yet another airport, looking for his flight. Is it implied that even though he's sort of gone through a Christmas Carol experience and now he's going to buy the the goose for the poor child or whatever, that he's he is going to remain this person without human connection who's always up in the air? I don't. Know, he takes his. He lets go of the of the rolling luggage. I don't know if that was meant to be. Uh, <laughs> you know, he was just symbolically uh, letting go of that lifestyle. Or or whether he just was letting go of the luggage, it was it was ambiguous to me. Right. Well, such as the acting style of George Clooney, that one is often forced to search, like the things that his hands do, or the <laughs> things that he lets go, or just the shots themselves for any clues to what's going on. See, I think you're more anti-Clooney than me and John are because I actually thought I I, I love him and I love the choices that he's made in his career. It's true he's not the edgiest, most adventurous actor, but I love the spot that he fills. I think he's so he's such a throwback to an old Hollywood style. And I actually thought he had some moments of vulnerability in this movie that did take him outside of the Danny Ocean, you know, complete slick package. I agree. And one of my favorite uh, scenes in the whole movie, and, and a scene I think in which he does that is, so he does reach this 10 million mile mark, which is what he's sort of uh, been going for uh, with American Airlines. And apparently there's, I don't know if this is real or not. I'm sort of curious. Um, but, uh, you know, there are only six people in the history of, of the world who've flown 10 million miles on American. And he's sort of at the end of the movie when he's had these kind of uh, revelations about his lifestyle and, and thinking about maybe changing it, he sort of has forgotten where he is in his mile mark and they fly they're flying over Dubuque or something someplace and, and the uh, stewardess comes over the phone uh, or the PA and says that oh you know we have a, a special announcement uh, this this guy has just crossed the 10 million uh, mile mark and in a, in a great cameo Sam Elliott comes out and he plays the pilot and he's uh, almost the wreathed chief pilot in, yeah the chief American pilot American the, yeah, he looks the, fantastic he's like wreathed in this nimbus of light as he yeah. comes out so you almost think it's a dream sequence exactly yeah it was really really great and he was perfectly uh, uh, cast it's sort of like the uh, anyway he, he was great but um it, it's the moment that, that the Clooney character has been waiting for all his professional life and it doesn't have the meaning for him that he thought it would and he tells the pilot that you know he, he's had he's dreamt about this this moment and what he would say and what he would ask the pilot uh and but he can't it does like he can't remember at that moment what what he wanted to say or what he was supposed to feel and I thought that Clooney you know I mean it, within the confines of this movie it was uh it was an impressive change in, in uh tone for him all right and it is you know it is I think within the confines of the movie is the exact right thing to say, which is that I am actually, despite everything I've said, I'm actually extremely pro Clooney, and I too am really happy about the role that he fills and the movies that he causes to get made, because most of the good George Clooney movies that get made would have never gotten made if he hadn't attached himself to them. Um, and within the confines of this movie, he does give basically the perfect performance. It's just that sometimes I wish that he chose movies that had broader confines, I guess. 
Yeah, it's true. That's actually, fair. he just—I was just going to say—he just made the movie Fantastic Mr. Fox, but he made it by being absolutely George Clooney right, at every right, second. Right. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me for this Slate spoiler special. Thanks, Dana. Thank you. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. America, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights: life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.